Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Building a successful architecture firm takes time. As a small firm architect, we work in so many roles and have dozens of responsibilities. Have you ever listed all the things that you do? That list is endless. How is it possible to make any progress? On which tasks should we be focusing? Which is the single most important thing that we should be doing right now in order to grow the firm that we want? The peace and the confidence that comes with knowing the answers to those questions allows us to focus on what matters most. We at Entree Architect can show you how to get focused and how to stay focused. Entree Architect Get Focused is a digital course that will help you build a productivity system that works for you. To learn more, go to entrearchitect.com slash get focused now. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 197. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. When we decided to become an architect, there is no doubt that it was sparked from a desire to design. Maybe we love to draw or paint, or maybe we're makers 
and Lego blocks covered our bedroom floor, or maybe someone recognized our talents as an artist and guided us toward this creative profession. However you landed here, chances are that your origin story starts with design. And all through architecture school and into your career, the definition of architecture and what it means to be an architect revolves around that idea of design, that we must design. But architecture is so much more than design, and many of us architects are blessed with skills and talents and strengths in areas other than design. We all have a purpose on this earth. We have a place in architecture, and it may not be as a designer. And that is as it should be. In this episode, I'm with Michael Bernard of Virtual Practice Consulting, and we go deep. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, finding your purpose in this profession of architecture. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, BQE Software, RCAT, and Gusto. And I'm going to share a little bit more about each one of these companies later in the show. But before we get started here, just take a quick note, just take a quick, quick note, go grab a pencil and schedule some time this week. I, I really want you to do this. Go grab a pencil, schedule some time this week to go visit each one of them. FreshBooks, BQE Software, RCAT, and Gusto, and let them know that you appreciate them for supporting us, the Entree Architect community. Michael Bernard, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hello, Mark. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good, great to have you here. This is going to be an interesting conversation. I think you and I are, uh, are kindred spirits. We, we uh, have very similar ideas about the profession, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. But before we get into that, uh, I want to tell our, our listeners a little bit about you and who you are. Uh, Michael is the founder of Virtual Practice Consulting, where he provides strategic advice to design and construction firms. Michael collaborates with firm leaders to assure effective growth, enrollment in a, in a vision and a mission, development of growth models, strategic business development, and mentoring staff to become effective project leaders. Michael's clients include architects, builders, structural engineers, landscape architects, interior lighting designers, and he has been the adjunct professor in the architecture department at um, the California College of Art in San Francisco since 2006, and has served as a, a director both on the board uh, at San Francisco chapter of the AIA and on the board uh, of the AIA California Council. And he has led several committees and has served as architect advisor to the Academy for Emerging Professionals at AIA San Francisco. So that sort of gives you an idea of who Michael is, a very active guy over in California. Um, but I'd like to hear a little bit more, Michael, about your story, about your origin story, about um, how you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect. So, so go way back, and or however far back that is, and uh, and tell us your story. Where where uh, where did you come from, and how did you get to where you are today? Well, thank you, Mark. Thanks for that very uh, kind introduction. Um, I discovered architecture as a ten-year-old with several multicolored sheets of construction paper. Uh, I was inspired by uh, house plan magazines on the racks in the supermarket, and uh, I reacted to them by building three-dimensional paper models. 
And then I never really thought about it again uh, until many years later. As an undergraduate, uh, I studied psychology with the intent of becoming a clinical psychologist. And while I was teaching uh, a summer school, teaching French to exchange students, uh, I was sketching in the off hours and one of my colleagues noticed that I was sketching and she asked if I had ever thought of going into architecture as a profession and I, I woke up. Mm -hmm. I had never even thought of it. And I never applied to graduate school in psychology, applied to graduate school in architecture, and uh, the rest of my career, my 35 plus year career, uh, unrolled in architecture since then. A light came on and I realized that the innate talent I had um, was just sleeping. So uh, I started in design uh, uh, pretty naively. Um, and uh, while I was a student and after I graduated, I worked for Charles Moore in Los Angeles in one of his many offices. But design wasn't enough. And so after a period of time, I quit that job with intention and went to work for a larger technical firm because I wanted to understand what the underpinning was of design, but that wasn't enough for me. And over the course of my career, working on large projects wasn't enough for me and working on teams wasn't enough for me and working in an office with multiple teams wasn't enough. My extents kept getting broader and broader. And I finally realized at about the two thirds point of my career, what I really loved about practice, about design, about architecture, is the creative team that that makes a project happen. It's as though I elevated out of the everyday production of objects of buildings and saw that the people who make those buildings are really that creative community is what what I what I cherish. And that is what I've made the focus of my career at virtual practice. How how long did that journey take from from starting in practice and and starting with Charles Moore design very design focused I would assume um, and then moving on realizing yeah. that that wasn't the place your place in architecture because that sounds like that's sort of the theme of your story is you couldn't find your place there was a there was something missing at each one of these points and an opportunity to practice with Charles Moore is such a fantastic opportunity as an architect um, you would think and then you were there and there was still something missing so you went searching for that in a larger firm and that it wasn't there. And so I can imagine some frustration and some, some angst and some, some concern that, you know, where do I fit in this? And then you finally find this, this uh, place. How long did that process take from that, you know, that first position with Charles Moore to where you sort of discovered where you should be? That's a very good question, Mark. And as I unpack it, I, I come up with multiple answers in different ways. I'll start with uh, the immediate reaction I have to your question, which is the conversations. The conversations in the studio, whether it was in a design studio or a technically focused studio, those conversations between people were what really stuck in my memory, which still stick in my memory. Mm -hmm. The, the late nights talking about different architects and the work they did and the critical thinking was way more interesting to me, selfishly, than the drawing. I, I can draw, I can design, I'm pretty darn good. But it, for me, the focus was really on the, on the consideration, the speculation, the, the, the chatter, the talking about architecture and people and social issues. Uh, 
And then zooming out from that, really just hearing people talk passionately about something they love. That, that process, rather than the content, was really um, important and, and drove my curiosity. Like, why are people interested in this specific thing? And I'll get back to that in a moment. I had the, the revelation that uh, virtual practice or working in a different appreciation with a different appreciation of architecture about two thirds of the way through my career. So I would say 20, 22 years, somewhere in there, 20 to 25 years into practice, uh, I realized that there was a different way that I could engage with practice and felt confident and had a kind of um, power or uh, um, uh, agency in, in thinking differently about practice. And to get back to the earlier point, um, I feel that uh, as I observe the various ways that architects engage in practice, uh, that architects, while we are poised to be the, the most entrepreneurial of all of the professions, of all of the licensed professions, whether it's law or medicine or dentistry, that we are poised to be the, the most uh, free thinking, the most liberal of all the professions, uh, because we are so tightly tied to the caprices of the marketplace that we can be the most creative, and yet we define ourselves so narrowly. And I think that that's a vestige of, of architecture as an elitist art, but I'll leave that one be for others to discuss. I just think that given the way that we are tied to the cost of construction and uh, so many other social aspects, that we have the opportunity to be extremely widely, um, to think much more broadly. Uh, and yet, and yet we, we, um, we tend to uh, we tend to kind of treat ourselves so narrowly that the how am I going to put this that it's almost like a tightly tailored a very closely tailored suit that we think is our own skin that it's almost like a tattoo that we very narrowly define what it is we do and who we are to the exclusion of others. And it's a way of insecurely defining what architecture is. If we're only about design, who else matters in practice? Uh, I don't mean to sound so, so harsh, but I do think there's an insecurity about how we define ourselves. And what that does is exclude others who think more broadly about technical issues or sustainability or resilience that somehow design as a visual art trumps everything. Uh, and once we break out of that, anyone who isn't that person, whether it's a, a new, one of the New York designers or a San Francisco designer or some globally known designer, that once we break out of that, we run the risk of being considered second-class citizens because the visual manifestation is, um, is somehow the most important thing. When there are architects who work diligently to identify the, you know, appropriate and smart resilience uh, practices that make um, buildings more sustainable and so on. I, I agree. I, I it, Was there an opportunity or, or a moment in your career um, where you, you're, you're working in design and clearly there wasn't, there wasn't the, the, the uh, resonance that you wanted there and you moved on to the more technical firm? Was there a moment in that time where it, it clicked 
and you said, okay, I have to go do something else? Or was it more of an evolution? Uh, a combination of both. But uh, I think I had my that all there is moment uh, when I was managing a small firm of 20 people and growing that firm and focused only on the business side of practice divorced or bifurcated from the design side. And we're talking about a 20 person firm, uh, quite successful. Uh, and I was the, I served as the uh, managing principal of this uh, very successful firm. And my colleagues started calling me up and asking me, Hey, Michael, can I buy you lunch? I have these questions and I know you do this managing principal thing. Can, can you tell me how I do it in my own firm? And that was an epiphany. At the that light, moment, the light bulb moment. Yeah. The, the light bulb just it just it almost blew out. It was so brilliant. I thought, oh my god, I don't have to, I don't have to sell my loaf of bread uh, in one place. I can sell slices all over the region, and that's what I started doing. I started through word of mouth, and I have built a, a, a client list of between 100 and 200 clients over the course of the last 12, uh, actually, yeah, 12 years. Um, and I work with, in any given month, I work with 20 different firms on various aspects of practice. But in that moment, uh, I just realized, wow, people see value in what I do. And when they see that value, they become instant clients. It's, it's hard to explain, but our, I find that architects are hard to sell to. And I, I really don't make a case or a pitch to architects to say, hey, you need my services. I know, I know how we are. I know how we're built. And we're really careful about uh, outside influences. Um, but when a crisis hits, they'll call me. They'll pick up the phone. And, and, I, and I have perhaps a, a sensible solution that an architect can take on. And, um, and I foster uh, my client relationship in that way. So you, it sounds like you had a slow transition to to open your own practice that you were working as a managing partner in this uh, other firm, and um, you you, en you ended up leaving that. So, what was that decision like? Where you you had this epiphany, you start sort of having these uh, conversations and and building, starting to build a business around it. Um, where was the point where you said, okay? this is my place and I got I need to go expand this. Uh, well, that's interesting. I, it was, it, it wasn't until that light came on when a colleague contacted me. It was really one client who is still a client today since 2004 or five, uh, that, um, it wasn't until that moment that, that uh, I realized what the missing piece was. And I think the, to, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, mm -hmm. but it wasn't until that moment that I, that I found my purpose in practice. And as soon as I latched onto that, uh, I, I, I didn't even have a definition for it. Here's the key. We don't, I didn't know what it was I was doing because it didn't have a name. It didn't have a label. Mm -hmm. no, nobody preceded me in practice ever doing this, being the liaison between a principal and a principal staff, or mentoring up and coming senior staff, uh, or cultivating uh, 
the next generation to succeed in the firm, to take over the firm, to be invited as partners. Nobody ever, I'd never seen anybody do that as a, as a mentor. Uh, and so when someone gave me the opportunity, uh, it was just, it was two things. It was chance, it was luck, and it was opportunity. I saw this opportunity not necessarily as a lucrative thing, but as a, a self-worth driving, uh, uh, self-esteem driving, a- engagement in practice driving uh, opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I, the reason I focus I so, the, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. Uh, I think the the there was a moment there in the in between between the the not quite autopilot. I'm proficient at running a practice. I've run large projects. Uh, I've had my own practice in between. Um, in that it's not quite autopilot, but it is kind of a, a comfort of proficiency leading to gosh, here I am. Is that all there is? And then someone coming up with a novel question uh, about how I might help them. Uh, that that was that that was um, kind of the the key, but kind of sleepy auto autopilot period. The the what I'm trying to get at is I didn't have a name for it. I couldn't even struggle with uh, what to call it until one day I felt completely divorced from practice. I was doing this consulting thing, and I realized what I'm doing is is a virtual practice. I work in many practices in a specific narrow way that helps all firms. Uh, in different ways. So kind of a managing principle, shock, you know, sort of uh, hired gun. Uh, and and so then I came up with the name virtual practice because I'm virtually there uh, um, when needed, but not full-time. It didn't have to be a full-time uh, engagement. Right. So you you go into, pra- into practices and sort of help them strategically through some sort of problem. And there are many different problems that they come to you for. And you sort of help them through the the process of figuring out what that is, create some strategy, talk about the people involved in that strategy and how that strategy gets executed. Is that right? That's sort of what you do? Yes. Yes, that's right. And so we talk through it very, very thoroughly, starting with what our mission is and and what we intend what at the principal level, what what our goals are for the firm. Often those are awkward topics to talk about because just like my experience, many principals react to the opportunity to design a project and they haven't really thought about mission. And there's no shame or blame in that. You know, we respond with the capability to provide a service and, and we just kind of go with that. But many of us as architects never define that. Like what is our vision? What is our mission? What are our goals in this practice? Well, maybe our mission is just to design. Maybe our mission is to make money. Whatever it is, often we react by attaching ourselves to the safety of designing because that's what we know. And we don't think it further than that. And then add people to that that are your staff. And we haven't thought much about that except they're going to help us with the first part, which is design the object. I propose that we have to think more broadly about the practice as a design project. And as soon as we step into that frame of mind, we can begin to think about the vision of the design of the project, of the practice. We can begin to think about broader things, our context in our community. Yeah, I, 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 I wanna get into more specifically about 
looking at the practice as a design project and maybe talk about how uh, architects can do that. Okay, let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. With their support, we can do what we're doing. So make sure you go reach out to them and say thank you. Fresh Books, Core by BQE Software, RCAT, and Gusto. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. And my favorite feature in FreshBooks, I've said this over and over again, and I love it, it is the automated invoice reminders. And I think sending invoices and getting paid might be one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects, right? Because who has the time? Who has the time to send invoices out? Well, FreshBooks makes it so easy to send out invoices and get paid online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, and how often is that, like forever, FreshBooks will send them you know, a friendly email reminder automatically through a simple system that you control. Sign up free for 30 days unrestricted and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive more organized, and most importantly, my favorite, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to get access to FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. One of the most often requested resources here at the Entree Architect community is project management software. How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? Well, today's podcast is sponsored by BQE Software. They're the makers of the award-winning BQE Core. I want you to try out Core. Core puts project management, business intelligence, billing, time, and expense tracking, and accounting all together on one intuitive, powerful platform. With its cloud platform and mobile apps, Core lets you manage people, projects, and profits from anywhere. And you can get a fully functional 15-day trial of Core. Go check it out. 15 free days. Go try it at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. RCAT is a great tool for small firm architects. RCAT has huge libraries online of free content. CAD, BIM, specifications, and much more. And they have done all the work for you. You need a spec? Click on over there, download the CSI three-part specification in multiple file formats, however you want it. They've got it and it's free. How about CAD details or BIM objects? All free at the click of a mouse. RCAT has tons of building product content ready for you to use. It's all completely free and you don't even have to register to download the content. It's there waiting for you. It makes your life so easy. And have you checked out their free collaboration tool, Charette? Charette is a tool for sharing and collaborating with your colleagues and clients in real time. And yes, it's free too. You can upload photos and files, share specs, product information directly from the RCAT database, as well as from anywhere else on the internet. Visit RCAT and click the Charette icon right there on the homepage. And like everything offered by RCAT, Charette, yes, Charette is free too. What is stopping you from going over to RCAT and checking out what they have? They Everything you need, it's sitting right there waiting for you. RCAT has it. Visit entrearchitect.com slash RCAT, A-R-C-A-T. Payroll and benefits. Ah, 
that makes my spine hurt. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business, like us small firm entrepreneur architects. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And old school payroll providers, they just don't get it. They aren't built the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting so it's easy for you to get it right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and a great service for your team. To help support the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. And don't, don't, listen up. This is, this is a great deal. Sign up today and you will get three months free once you run your first payroll. So go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto, G-U-S-T-O, entrearchitect.com slash gusto, and claim your free three months of gusto. FreshBooks, BQE Software, RCAT, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Before we do that, though, I, I just want to, I, 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 I keep coming back to your transition. And the reason I do that is because I think there's, and, and I think you agree with me, there are many, many architects out there who are frustrated, who have not found their place because of exactly what you said. They became architects. They think architecture is about design, and that's the goal is to become a design firm. And if, and, and if you're not if that's not your purpose, because there are people who that's their purpose to be designers and to create amazing mm -hmm. works of art. But the majority of us are not. The majority of us are some other piece in that process. Um, mm -hmm. And when you find that place, when you find that purpose, for me, it's being a connector. You know, Entree Architect mm -hmm. is all about connecting one person with another person or one group with another group and, and helping, you know, because when you bring those two groups together, we, we, we blossom into something much, much bigger and much, much more powerful. And when I discovered that and I had my light bulb moment, something inside me changed and something I became mm -hmm. happier. I became more fulfilled and, and, and I, and I could then let those other things go, you know, that the design wasn't as important to me and the, and the actual practice of architecture was less important to me, although I still do that. Um, but this passion to connect people became overwhelming to the point where I needed to, to address it. And I think there are hundreds, maybe thousands of architects out there who have that same feeling and may not even know it. They're just frustrated and they don't know why. So that's why I wanted to, con to, to continue to talk about um, your transition and, and what, what was that process between uh, discovery, that light bulb moment, to actually launching this practice. Um, and so I just wanted to bring that back. You know, maybe I do have an idea of what my purpose is, but I don't know how to get there. What are some of the steps for someone like that who, who are in that position uh, to, to take that next step? What would be one logical, simple step that somebody could take to get to move toward that, that thing to confirm that that is my purpose? To acknowledge at the very essence of oneself that one wants to lead. That's the core. Mm -hmm. And when, one, when I realized that what I really wanted in whatever profession I want, this is outside of architecture and outside of any endeavor, is that I wanted to lead my own practice or job or life and life. 
that as at the moment where we realize we are not we do not have to follow maybe some of us want to follow if we want to follow and design or find some niche in practice fantastic find find your equilibrium there but if the yearning creates bitterness about or a grudge or kind of a curmudgeonly bent the opportunity is there to abandon that and just to acknowledge that we want to lead that i want to lead whatever it is i'm doing whether it's alone or in a group uh and if we want to lead we have to have followers but that comes later the first thing is acknowledge the yearning to lead and find a way to express ourselves and not to be encumbered by the narrowly defined profession of architecture that's how we bust out and uh, find our place in practice that's so good that that's so true that's 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 the essence of an entrepreneur right i mean that's when you right. have that that uh, idea and maybe you don't even know what that idea but there is something and you know that you want to go do that go do that mm -hmm. that's that's the the um the leadership that you're talking about that's sort of taking the idea or that little hint of an idea that makes you happy that gets something going inside you that your their energy is there around that thing go do that and lead other people in that direction uh, and it becomes something it then blossoms into something bigger uh, and the followers start to follow. That's Perfect. right. It, I, I agree. It's uh, it, I, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Let, let's get into a little bit about how you do what you do. The the you said that um, you you help architects look at the practice as a design project. It's sort of how to how to actually be more entrepreneurial. Really, is where where what sort of you're talking about. So if if somebody came to you with a, a problem, what are some of the steps that you go through with them? Uh, to do the work that you do. Well, I start. I start with nuts and bolts, and eventually, I hope we will move to heart and soul. But let's start with the nuts and bolts. I like to think of uh, the process. I use first of all, I listen to my clients. Like, what are your issues? What are the issues in practice uh, that are affecting you today? Is it in the business realm? Is it in the design realm? Is it in the staffing realm? Is it in the project realm? Are you, where, where's the focus of, where's the pressure point? Where are the pressure points in your practice? So I, in, in the initial intake, I want to know what the dynamics of the firm are. And by firm, I want to qualify that I work not only with architects, but with landscape architects, interior designers, design build architects and builders, construct contractors, builders, uh, the whole spectrum of allied professions within design and construction. Uh, I should add lighting designers and structural engineers as well. So we have common dynamics in our practices that range from design through construction and information structure. So with architects, for example, I will start with my process of what I call the four corners of a, a project, or every project has four corners. I know there's more to a project than four four points. But the points I use to keep it simple are every project has a scope of work, has a schedule, has a design fee budget, and has a construction cost. Every one of those creates a 90 degree corner. And when one of those 90 degree corners gets out of whack, we have to adjust it in one of the other or all three of the other corners to get it back to square. And how do we do that? So it's a mental exercise about maintaining a sense of control over the or managing that process of that project. So I'll look at projects in the grain that way. I'll also help a client build a, a revenue model for their firm. So we can look at what the cost of the firm is 
and then filter out all of the costs associated with employees and figure out the maximum revenue generation capability or capacity of the firm compared to their overhead cost. Like, what does it cost to run your firm? What's the maximum revenue you can generate? Is it a positive or a negative? Let's, let's sketch that out and, and consider that. So we look at the, the objects, the projects, we look at the cost to produce those objects, and then we talk about what the vision of the firm is. So we start with something very concrete. I want people to be grounded because our profession is grounded, and then move to something bigger. Create the opportunity for a client to think more broadly about who they are, who's with them, what that group does, and who they do it for. So we move from the very concrete to the more abstract, but the abstract is still tethered to what the firm is capable of doing. So we can have a baseline to think about where they might go. Do you, do you find that, because you, you said nuts and bolts to heart and soul, and that's what you were just describing, do you find that many architects tend to live in the heart and soul first and then struggle with the nuts and bolts. And so that's why you sort of focus on the nuts and bolts and then go back to the heart and soul. Because I think a lot of architects sort of are enthusiastic about what they do and they're passionate about the, what they do and they're, they're artistic, and, but they, they struggle with the nuts and bolts of business. So is, yes. that, is that why you focus on that? And then you sort of go back to the thing that they're, that they, that they're sort of instinctive with and help them push beyond where they, where they are now. Yes, I, I, I work with some, enough clients now to know that we are rewarded for doing excellent design work uh, and, um, and in that, um, one moment, we are rewarded for doing great design work and perhaps we get paid for it. So the way we get paid becomes the way we do business. So what I'm describing, and it's not for everyone, but I'm giving an extreme example yeah. for on, on purpose. And that is, let's say we design this beautiful project. We revel in its, its beauty. Uh, we finally get around to billing the client because our mortgage is three months behind. Uh, and we, we then get paid by the client's accountant three months after that. So now we're six months in arrears. And then um, we send our second invoice, but it's really for four months worth of work and the client freaks out, but gosh, we got paid. And then that becomes the way we do business because yeah. we get rewarded with our excellent work by acting in a dysfunctional manner. And I want to shed light on that, shine a bright light on that and say, hey, there's a different way that we can do this. So I want to start with that and ground the firm and help it stay healthy with good business practices because we never learn those in school. I think there are precious few schools where uh, if, if, if we were to learn best business practices, we'd be pursuing MBAs. And that's not why we go to architecture school. We go to architecture school to learn design. Uh, and and it, in any program, there's precious little time to learn even the best practices of design, let alone um, other supportive uh, courses like professional practice. Professional practice is a course that I've taught at uh, the California College of the Arts over the course of 11 years. Um, in that uh, capacity, I realized, you know, I was teaching students uh, the concept, students, mind you, not people who work in the profession, teaching them, introducing them to contracts, to everything I've talked about, the four corners of a project and how to organize information, how to build a schedule. And those 
concepts are so untethered from, disconnected from the design work they're doing in studio. Even the idea of preparing a schedule, even though that would help them through the term to finish a project on time, is, is not, there's no connection made there. So over the course of 10 years, I would say, I was giving people the tools that they wouldn't be able to use right away because they were under the supervision of others who had other ways of doing that work, of managing the projects in the profession. And when they get their first job, these students, um, you know, they don't have authority to manage a lot of that information. So it sits on ice until they're in a position to be responsible. But by then, 10 years down the road, uh, every tool that I taught them is out of date. So why am I teaching them to use today's tools when I know they won't use them for 10 years and then they're no longer any, they're not valid anymore. So we create the situation where the, the, the kind of the mastery of the tools that would support a project aren't really offered to us. And when they are, they're out of date by the time we have the authority to use them. And it's just the nature of the way, you know, the academy is divorced from the profession. And I see that over and over. And what yeah. I realized in the end is that, that what I need to teach in professional practice, one course, mind you, in, the, in a three-year program of 35 courses, <laughs> one small course on all the aspects of, of architecture that don't have to do with design. Uh, that what I learn is that I need to teach these students the importance of leadership. And that gets back to my earlier point. Be true to who you are and what your essential drive is. Uh, and all these tools are kind of good information to warp and to hack and to use in some way uh, and make it better. Um, but rather than be pedantic and nuts and bolts in that case, I would propose that students students think about what it means to lead. And I sense that in the, in the current generation of students that they really are ready to lead mm -hmm. and they're really receptive to the idea of abandoning rules in order to, you know, to learn authentically how to practice architecture. Yeah. I, I think, I think we have a perfect storm here with this, this generation and the next generation coming in because I think generally our society is becoming more entrepreneurial. I think the tools that we have with the internet uh, are allowing those things to happen. And we have this generation that, that's ready to accept it. And you're talking about the, that the architectural profession is poised to be the most entrepreneurial of all professions. So how do we do that? How do we, as architects who are now practicing, as well as the next generation, what are some of the things that we should be focused on to allow us to then take advantage of that opportunity of being the most entrepreneurial profession? Well, I'm going to share an anecdote. It might be obliquely related. Um, and it's really about a kind of a ray of light that gives me hope that, that emerging professionals will crack the profession and, and approach it differently. So I'm, bear with me while yeah. I try to yeah. lay this out. One of my students um, graduated uh, into the recession, like literally you know, three months before the big crash in 2008. My whole, and when we look at the gulf of talented individuals with that number of years of experience where there's precious, there are precious few, uh, many people left the profession for good and found their way to be leaders in other ways, whether it's in fabrication or graphic design. 
or any number of other professions. Uh, this particular student um, was preparing renderings for a major utility for a, uh, a site where they had removed a power plant. And, uh, and I would mentor him for quite regularly on how to prepare his portfolio and how to engage in, um, in kind of a, a, a design practice that was not specifically architecture, but planning for this, for this utility. Uh, over the course of the last nine years, he has created a role for himself where he brings in global architects to design the power plants and substations and infrastructure for this utility. He is not yet a licensed architect, although he is pursuing licensure through NCARB. But over the course of, the year, of these years, he has practiced architecture at the highest level as a leader, bringing the right designer to the right endeavor and putting those teams together, looking at the construction drawings, doing major planning, um, thinking deeply about the importance of infrastructure uh, as a part of the fabric of San Francisco and beyond. Uh, he, he's a prime example of what I was talking about earlier, of someone who thought outside the box but is still constrained by the narrow uh, quantification of practice by authorities having jurisdiction that that you know he's going to pursue he is pursuing his license he's under he understands how to write a contract how to write a proposal how to manage fees oversee construction he does everything an architect would do in a completely different context that is foreign to the reviewers who would grant him a license, and yet he practices at the highest, deepest level. So, so that's kind of that's an example of of a of a current generation, a, a representative of the current generation who is hacking practice and is extremely effective in getting things designed and built. I, I love that story. I and and I and I hope it's inspiring those of you listening uh, that there is there is a place. For each one of us, that there is that there is an opportunity to use the skills and the talents we have as architects that we've been trained through architecture school to have, um, that there's so much more than the design practice. I love mm -hmm. the design practice, and and without the design practice, we the profession would be a very different profession, and the world would be a very mm -hmm. different world. But that's Agreed. just this this little tiny piece of what architecture is and what it could be. We it could be so much more. Um, using the skills and, and talents we have and still be architects, quote unquote, you know, mm -hmm. that I think that's also another fear that people have that we work so hard that we dedicate our lives as young kids to become architects and we become architects and we have this title of architect and we're afraid to go do something else with that title because we're afraid we're going to lose the title and we're afraid we're going to lose right. the, the, the label of architect because it means so much to us and those around us. But you can be, you can go beyond what we're doing as traditional architects and still be architects and practice architecture in other ways and outside the, the box, as, as Michael said. So I hope that story inspires you to sort of reach deep inside you of who you are and the, and the calling that you have and the purpose that you have and, and maybe go find uh, a place where you can lead a group of other people in that same direction and still be an architect and practice architecture in a different way. So I think you've summed it up really nicely, Mark. That's uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I 
I'm very inspired by what you're doing, Michael, and and uh, the the thoughts and the way you're thinking. And um, I appreciate you coming here and sort of uh, cracking open the profession a little bit and having people think differently. Um, and and I'm thankful for you that you're doing that uh, every day with practices that they can reach out to you and and do that. Um, before we wrap up here, I want to ask you the one question that I ask all my uh, my guests here at the Entree Architect podcast. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? That's a very good question, Mark. I think the most important thing, uh, the one thing a small firm or the architect of a small firm can do today is to be authentic and to really pay attention to their inner voice of how to lead. So often we respond. So often, as architects, we find our role to be reactive, that we are people pleasers, that we will do what needs to be done to make our clients happy, and we will take back a little bit, and we'll say that we're happy, but the simple fact is we need to lead. And, and that, is the, that is being authentic and stepping into leadership are combined to be a, a great thing any firm can do today. Yeah, that's a very, very good one. That was a very good one. Um, Michael can be found. You can go check out Michael's practice online at v-practiceconsulting.com. That's the virtual practice website, v-practiceconsulting.com. Um, Michael, is there any place else uh, that um, that we might be able to reach out, maybe social media, anywhere else that you'd like to, uh, to share? Well, I encourage uh, uh, our listeners to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you will not find a lot about architecture, but you will get a sense of um, how I approach my practice uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Great, we, and we will. We will meet you there. We will link uh, up links to those on our on our website. Uh, the show notes. This is episode 197. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 197 will get you there for those links. Um, are do you have any closing thoughts, Michael? Before we wrap up. Uh, I, I think I've said everything I can say. I encourage people to reach out to me uh, and look forward to hearing everyone's stories about how they've built their practices and where they think they might take them. Michael Bernard of The Virtual Practice, uh, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's been my pleasure. Hey, I just checked iTunes and it looks like a few months back, we topped 100 reviews. More than 100 people have posted their thoughts on what we're sharing here at Entree Architect Podcast. And I am so very grateful to each one of you for doing that. That's how we're going to, to work together to make a difference and bring change to this profession for small firms. If you want to read some of those reviews or, or maybe post a review of your own, just visit entrearchitect.com slash iTunes and you'll be on your way. It'll take you right there and you can post your thoughts about the Entree Architect podcast. Thank you. And to those of you who've posted reviews on the many other platforms, I know there are other platforms that you're listening to this podcast on other than iTunes. Thank you very much to you as well. Thank you for spreading the word and sharing your thoughts about what we're doing here at Entree Architect. Sharing your thoughts or a link with a friend will help us grow. 
and it will help us reach our goal of helping every small firm architect, every small firm architect practicing throughout the world. Hey, if you want a direct link to this show, to the show notes and a direct link to this episode, this is episode 197, 197. Every show of the Entree Architect podcast is available on the website. And this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 197. And as you prepare for the new year and, and, and start planning for 2018, for crushing 2018, it's time to develop and execute on a new productivity system. Do you even have a productivity system? How are you getting things done? Are you just sitting down and getting to work and have no idea what the most important thing is? The most important, you. there's one thing that you should be doing right now that will grow your firm. And yes, the Entree Architect podcast is a priority, so make sure you're listening. So if you want to know how to get more focused, we can show you how. Visit entrearchitect.com slash get focused now entrearchitect.com slash get focused now and that will take you to a page where you can learn all about how to get focused my name is mark arlapage and i am an entrepreneur architect and i encourage you to go build the better business so you can be a better architect love learn and share share what you know thanks for listening and have a great week I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging 
and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.